Good morning. We're in our, our week five of our reset series. And as we are in this kind of last half of the series, it's really important that we, we stop and consider, assess, you know, how are we doing in our change project? And in the areas that we want to change, we need to, we need to be good at making assessments. And in his book, uh, You Can Change by Tim Chester, uh, the author really gives some great assessment questions. And these, these questions, they're really crucial for the foundational or radical changes that the Holy Spirit wants to make in our lives, changing us from the inside out and the ground up. So <clears throat> one of the questions that he, that I think is helpful is that sometimes we don't know exactly what we want to become and so it's it it's not wrong it's not a bad thing to have people in your life that you you want to emulate and specific people that you feel are further along in the journey, are people that you feel are Christ-like. And in a way, you see, this is an act of humility because our pride does not allow us to compare other people in a healthy way. But in humility, you can look and say, this person has these Christ-like character uh, traits manifesting in the way that they live their life. And, and so one of the questions that you can ask is not just to have admiration for somebody, but to say, well, what is it about this person that makes them like Jesus? What is it about them that has this kind of appeal or attractiveness that Christ has in, in, in their life? You know, And maybe even if you know this person, you think through, well, what's happened in their lives to make this person the person that they are? And uh, so some of it is, is beginning to use your friendships with healthy people to ask some questions. Uh, it's always fascinating to me. Um, you know, I have working with students at ATS or at Nye College. I've had people come up and say, you know, I want you to mentor me. And, and it was always sort of ambiguous in a, in a way. What is it you want me to do? And so sometimes you could, if, if you just wanted someone to really mentor you or train you in a way you say well tell me how you know how ha you know, how has God worked in your life what what is it that you think about yourself that makes you more focused on Christ and what what is what is it about Jesus in your life that makes such a difference and now I didn't just do this in my life with people but some of the best growth I ever experienced was to read biographies of Christians from the past, and especially biographies of people whose lives were fully devoted to Christ. When I was 18, and I was really serious about you know wanting to become a pastor, wanting to serve the Lord, I read a biography about a missionary who was martyred by the name of Jim Elliot, and the book is called The Shadow of the Almighty. And I remember reading that book, and because he gave his life fully to Christ, even as a high school and college student. And he went to be a missionary in his 20s and was trying to reach an unreached people group. 
in the kind of the rainforest jungle areas of Ecuador. And he was martyred by the people that he had come to preach the gospel to. And he lived a very short but very powerful life. And I remember this reading through his life and just weeping and, and surrendering to Jesus in all these areas where I saw that he was surrendering to Christ. Now, you know, I wasn't wanting to become a martyr, but I was amazed at the maturity and the wisdom and the devotion of this young person. And I'll never forget one of his great sayings. You, you, you know, you cannot, he, he, the idea is it, it was constantly, if he tried to save his life, he would lose his life. But if he lost his life for Christ's sake, he would, he would never, never really lose his life. And, and, and it was, a, in some ways, prepared him to live a short but powerful life. And it touched me really early that, that I wanted every day, I wanted everything in my life to be devoted to Christ. And any time I, I, I start losing that, I can, I can look back on how impactful that particular Christian person's life was and how it still is impacting me to this day. So some of it is realizing that you and I need some good examples. We need some good models in our life. And we need, if we can have personal relationship with them and have con- you know, uh, the ability to ask questions, that would be really special. But also, if you find some of these Christian biographies, uh, it can transform your life. His name was Jim Elliott. Hudson Taylor is another one. Amy Carmichael is an ama- has a biography, amazing stories about her writing hymns. You know, some of the seasons in your life, you are placed with good leaders. And during that time, you want want to find out everything that God has done in their life. So I remember having these great leaders in my life placed in my path. and, And when they were in my path, I made sure that I learned everything I could about ministry, about prayer, about relationships and even about emotional health. See, the Holy Spirit has a curriculum for you. I mean, this idea of change is is one you have to embrace, but it's also one the Spirit is bringing into your life in this special curriculum. Because He is committed to conforming you to the image of Christ. So the question often comes up in terms of assessment, Am I cooperating and submitting to the Holy Spirit? Am I resisting? Am I rebelling? Do I feel sorry for myself? Sometimes the seasons of change are seasons of sadness. Now, feeling sad is not an unhealthy emotion. Grieving is a healthy emotion. But if you begin to let the sadness slip into self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself, then what will happen is a hardness of heart will take place and there will be greater resistance and rebellion against what the Holy Spirit's doing. At every point in your life, you are called to embrace the cross. Embracing the cross is always the center of the Holy Spirit's curriculum. Can I receive with a, a 
a softness of heart, a tenderness of heart, the hard times as well as the good times. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. One of the things that I'm learning in this Reset series is that every season of your life, there are new areas that are pressured up by the circumstances of life. Those areas were already there. They just they were either hidden from view or they were not known by you. They were unconscious in some way. But they are default settings of sin or default settings of independence. Areas where you have not denied self. Areas where you have not yet taken up your cross. And those areas are the ones that the Holy Spirit is bringing up. This summer there was some really difficult trials that I faced. And, and in some of the, the trials, there, was, um, there were words that people spoke to me. There were things that were done to me that were, that were really difficult to receive. They felt like humiliations. And it was so interesting as I thought through this idea of embracing the cross... In other words, if a criticism destroys me, if a humiliation can derail me, then that's a place that's not yet dead in terms of my ego, in terms of my pride. And so even when people do what you hate for them to do or when you, you do what you feel is unfair of them to do to you, the fact that it can derail you or it can overwhelm you is telling you the Spirit's curriculum in this is, is not to justify their injustice. But the Spirit's curriculum in this is even when others are being unjust or unfair to you, is He's bringing up a new area where He's saying, will you embrace the cross of Christ? Will you die to self? Will you deny self? And usually those are the most difficult areas of change. The places where Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you'll have to deny yourself. Because it feels like when people are humiliating you or they're criticizing you or they're betraying you or whatever it is, it feels like you shouldn't have to deny yourself. You should have to rise up with a bigger, greater self than ever before and defend yourself. But Jesus says, will you not see what the Spirit is doing in this? He's not, he's not condoning what someone else has done. If someone tells a lie about you, that's sin. It's evil. It's unjust. If someone doesn't do what they promised, that's evil. It's unjust. But they are not they are not fully your responsible. You're responsible to them. You're not responsible for them. But how you react to the circumstances and people in your life, that's what you're responsible for. And the question comes in the deepest changes, the most radical changes, is will you embrace the cross? And will you die even to your own reputation? Well, the way that Jesus served us in the cross, his submission to the Father without ever losing love or trust for the Father, his eternal suffering because he became sin, 
All this are special marks of what it means to be like Christ. And Paul actually says to be joined to Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, the problem for a lot of Christians, and this is why Lisa and I really emphasize in these last uh, three weeks of our change project, people get stuck on the cross side. They get stuck in death. And they, 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 they get stuck in, in, in a way of joining with the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, but they never begin to realize that they could also experience the power of his resurrection. See, change is not complete just because you realize where you need to change. Now, this is really important. And let's go over for a minute about what you would like to change, because what you would like to change is really powerful. But in order to truly change, you have to realize that just, re- just acknowledging the need of change, even confessing the need of change, is just the beginning. That's you embracing the cross. That's you denying self. But now it's time to turn to resurrection power. So you begin to look at you know, a behavior you want to change in your life. Maybe there's a problem with lying, lust, overeating. Maybe you're spending too much. Maybe... There's an inappropriate relationship. Or maybe you've identified an emotion that you struggle with. Depression, envy, anxiety, greed, or anger. Or maybe, and we'll look at this fully this week, is you've begun to understand that the Spirit is developing some some virtues in you, some beautiful things in you that you want to nurture and see come to fruition. Those That very fruit of the Spirit that was lacking in your life, but now you're realizing the Spirit wants to develop this in you. Maybe patience, maybe... I love the whole biblical idea of self-control, that you actually have control over your own emotions, you have control over your choices, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not living by the tyranny of the urgent, but rather you're able to make much more ultimate choices that bring much more ultimate satisfaction. See, the problem for many of us is we don't know what we want to change about ourselves. We know what we want to change about everybody around us. But the change project is always about you. And so when you know, you're thinking about the change, it's not about changing somebody else's behavior or somebody else's response to you. It's about your behavior changing. It's about you embracing your cross and it's about you denying self you know, and following Christ. You know, you can't choose, well, I want better behaved children. You, I mean, you can manipulate and try to make that happen, but that's not really your change project. Or even if you say you want a better marriage, you're, what, you're, what you're doing is you're giving away the power to change to someone you have no right and you have no ability to control. That will only lead to anxiety, anger, and ultimately depression. Um, you could choose something really specific like, I, you know, I want to stop shouting at my children or having, you know, losing my temper with my spouse or, or whatever it might be, getting too irritated. But the more specific you become, where, you, where you're, you're seeing that the Holy Spirit is putting in focus on a certain area. Now, uh, for me, it was not an easy thing to see what the Holy Spirit wanted to change. 
But I, I, through this summer and the trials that I went through both health-wise and in some relationships, I began to realize that I had areas of my life where I still love God for what He did for me or what He does for me. Not, not just for what He did on the cross, but I mean, I love God because He answered my prayers in certain ways or He made certain ways easier for me or or are certain things where it was more about how serviceable God was to me rather than loving Him for Him. In, not in every area, but there were very specific areas where the Holy Spirit put His finger on my heart and was saying, you are not melted in this place by my love. and Because I could feel anger coming up at God. I could feel disappointment with God. I could feel... Areas of almost, you know, almost like, oh, this never is going to work out kind of thing. And this never works out for me. And so I, I began to, to see specific areas where there was hardness in my heart. And this reset pro- project has been about plowing the hard ground and, and saying being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be so melted in, in my heart, with love for Christ, that even when things aren't going the way I want them to go or, or when I can't fully see, you know, what's ahead, I will put my trust in Him. I will have a tenderness. And I, I saw as some things didn't go the way I wanted them to go that I had still that old manipulation. Well, I, you know, I'm going to harden myself. And, and the only way that you can stay in a place of fullness with the Holy Spirit, is tenderness of heart. So my change project hit me pretty deep. But there were places that when life wasn't what I wanted it to be, when, when I felt like I didn't have control, that I was, I was withdrawing, I was holding, withholding from God. And so I realized that there were places in my life where I, I loved Him if He was serviceable to me. And then, of course, by showing me that, he was showing me these places where agape love had not penetrated my heart. And so I loved people often when they made me feel certain ways or when they made me feel safe or whatever it might be, instead of just loving them from a place of the agape love that I have received. And so it's been a powerful switch for me of, of, of opening my eyes, being honest about these areas where love has not been the motivating factor in, in, in my life. And so God has been melting my heart, melting my heart for himself, melting my heart for others in new and fresh ways, and especially melting my heart when either people or things aren't or do not do what I expect them to do. So it has to be about specific things, but it also has to be about you and not about somebody else. And it always goes back to this. What would it mean for me to be more and more like Jesus? Now, you know, one of the most difficult areas that we face when, we, when we're trying to change involves either real emotional or real intimacy needs. And when those needs are not being met, you have to understand something. The needs don't go away. And so the enemy 
knows exactly the access point of your emotional weaknesses, of your emotional needs that are not being met, areas where you've, you've experienced deprivation, areas where your ego, your pride might begin to give you a sense of entitlement. And so sin promises to meet legitimate needs, but it can never do so in legitimate ways. It will always do so in illegitimate ways. So one of the biggest things in terms of really becoming a mature and healthy follower of Christ is to identify the areas of your life where sin has made false promises to meet your needs and to recognize what did they actually deliver. Uh, Tim Chester again, he says, sin promises fun and excitement but it delivers pain and tragedy. Sin promises freedom, but it delivers slavery and addiction. Sin promises life and fulfillment, but it delivers emptiness, frustration, and death. Sin promises gain, but it delivers loss. Sin promises that we can get away with it, but the fact is, we really don't. And so you begin to realize that when you're on this change project, what you're re- one of the big things you're doing is you're closing down the access that Satan had in your life that was keeping you from change. You see, these are really, really very real needs that we have. The need for attention, the need for approval, the need for respect, the need for comfort, the need for security and safety. These are, these are not fake needs. These are legitimate needs. Desire to be appreciated. That's a real need. But the problem is when you've either suffered deprivation in those areas of need or you've learned to, to satisfy those needs or to try to satisfy those needs either in fleshly ways or in illegitimate ways, what happens is those those needs become masters of your life. And what, what happens to so many of us, and, and this is why this week is so important, is that we must learn to live, number one, in the whole realm and the whole understanding that our whole life is now under grace, not under law. See, the... the the, the issue of trying to get all of our emotional needs met by other people is that we have to perform in order to get those needs met. We have to get there. We have to impress in some way so that they will approve of us. We have to impress in some way so that they will respect us. We have to impress in some way of how needy we are so they'll comfort us. But the problem is in in, in giving our attention and giving our, our energy to impress other people in order to get our needs met, we then find ourselves in bondage, brokers of our own needs, and in bondage to sin itself without even knowing it, really. In some ways... One of the most important things that we've said over the course of these weeks is motivation is everything. Why do I do what I do? 
even the changes that I'm trying to make, why am I making these changes? Now, it may seem strange to say we are trying to impress God, but we really are. We probably wouldn't say it that way, but that is really at the heart of much of what we do in terms of religious activity, even in terms of spiritual disciplines. You know, we say, if I have my quiet time, then God will have to bless me. Well, we're saying God should be impressed that I'm reading my Bible. God should be impressed that I'm praying. Even if it's only 10 minutes a day, we expect God to be impressed by that so that then God will be obligated in some way to bless me. And we tend to have a very religious view of suffering, a view of you get what you deserve kind of suffering, because you, you'll say, well, God won't bless me because I didn't pray today. God won't bless me because I let, I let him down. I sinned again. It's so interesting how we believe that in some way God answers our prayers because we're good. Do you understand? God already knows tomorrow's sin. God is living and dealing with you all at once. God has your whole life. God doesn't experience your life in, in con, you know, uh, chronological minutes. God has already experienced your life as a whole. He knows the end from the beginning. God is already having a, a, a relationship with the future you while you're having a re- relationship in the present with God. So what you do today is not going to earn your blessing. And if it's about earning, then your future failures would keep you from having a blessing today. So it has to be, it must be, that you understand that you are in a blessable position because you are in Christ. Because what merits answers to your prayers is not your praying. What merits the answers to your prayers is Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension. Do you understand right now the Father is hearing Jesus pray for you? You are always in a blessable position because you're always under grace. If you think in some way that your prayers, your reading the scripture, any of those kind of things will either give you a good day or a bad day, then you're saying, I earn a good day or I earned a bad day. Instead of saying, no, Jesus Jesus has earned my access to the Father. I am never without access to the Father. One of my favorite sayings is, who can wake a king up in the middle of the night and say, I'm thirsty, will you get me a glass of water? Well, the only one who can is a son or a daughter. The servants wouldn't dare, but a daughter A son can go right into the king's bedroom and say, Dad, I'm thirsty. You understand, a son, a daughter, always in a blessable position. Always access. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Listen, listen. There are three things that you must understand about change. One, 
You cannot impress God, and you don't need to impress God. So therefore, it all, everything in your life has to be from the standpoint, I have it all because of grace. But you also must realize that that grace, which is where the love of God flows from the very throne of God to the heart, heart to the heart of you, to the, to the throne in your heart, must be met by faith. It isn't simply honesty about, I, I have broken places, I have needy places. That, that is a beginning that is wonderful. Without honesty, you're not going to go anywhere. But it must be met by the faith that says, I'm the daughter, I'm the son who can wake the king up and say, I'm thirsty and the king will get up and the king will get you a glass of water. But not because he's the king, but because he's your father. He's your father. You see, grace isn't about impressing God. Grace is about realizing you have access to all the riches of God. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But it takes faith to live in that. It takes faith to activate that. Now, in our Christian lives, they began not because we started changing. It didn't begin because we understood it better now how to perform. Our lives began when we received the Spirit by believing in Christ crucified. It's foolish for us now to think we can take over and finish the job through human effort. So it has to be grace from start to finish. It has to be your faith embracing that grace, embracing the resurrection power from start to finish. There is no other order to this. It isn't you make yourself better. You get greater willpower. Now, it is grace to begin. It is grace in the middle. It's grace to the end. It's faith in the beginning. It's faith in the middle. It's faith all the way to the end. I am changed. I'm being changed. I will be changed. We become Christians by faith in Jesus. We stay Christians by faith in Jesus. And we grow as Christians by faith. In Jesus. You know, the purpose of the law of God was never to save you. No one can be saved by the law. The law's purpose was to reveal our need for a Savior. An absolute need for a Savior. None of us can keep the law. But Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. Now my faith must embrace the grace that God is offering that he has put you in a, a blessable position, that you live in the favor of God, not because of your merits, but because of Christ's merits for us. You see, that idea of faith is not just the beginning of the Christian life. It is the whole of the Christian life. This is one of my favorite ways to look at it. Justification coming into right standing with God as accepted and, un and acceptable to God is a change of my status in God's sight. But sanctification, being made holy, changing from the inside out, making God ultimate in all things of my life is a change of my heart and my character. 
We begin with Christ. We go to Him as sinners with no plea but of that of utter need. And we cast our souls on Him by faith. And if we grow in wholeness, if we would grow in holiness, we must continually go on as we began, ever making fresh applications to Christ. Friends, grace from start to finish, faith from start to finish. The third one I did not get to because we run out of time, but it's, it's simply this. If you live in grace, if you live in faith, then you also must live in forgiveness. That you are truly forgiven. That the sin that has caused guilt and shame will not, will not give you power if you keep looking at the sin. You'll only have power over the sin when you no longer uh, have a conscience that is in bondage to guilt and shame. Receiving a fresh pardon cleanses the conscience and allows you to move forward over the things that have caused you the guilt and the shame. So it's grace, it's faith, and it's forgiveness. And all three of these give us the power of the resurrection in our life, not to just stay on the cross side, but to get to the resurrection side. God bless you.